Hi guys, and welcome back to the Mass Mentors podcast. This will be Q&A episode five, I believe. Um, Luke has now been sacked, and uh, <laughs> he has been replaced with AJ Morris this week. We were planning on a, a trio this week, but um, Luke sadly can't make it, so uh, it will now just be me and AJ. Um, we have just finished a push session at FLF. We have deadlifts tomorrow. Um, AJ, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very Good. much, mate. Thank you very much. How have the last few weeks been with uh, busyness with prep and competitions, etc.? Yeah, so busy few weeks for me. I've got a lot of com- clients competing this weekend in the final UK DFBA qualifier, which is in rugby. So I've got seven clients in that one. I've had quite a few successes already this year. Got a decent amount of juniors and men's open weight classes qualified for the finals. So both BNBF and UK DFBA finals will be featuring a good amount of team NBM, which was the initial goal. Mm. I sort of had it in my head at the end of the last year that I wanted uh, to take at least sort of five five competitors to each final, and I, I definitely will do that. So that's that's perfect. It's really exciting times, and it's a case now, especially with my juniors, because I've got a lot of them. It's, uh, it's, a, bit, it's a bit of um, a difficult one as a coach because I want them all... I want them all to be champions um, and I know each one sort of wants it as bad as the other because I've kind of instilled that from them from the start. I was like, you know, I have a good fair few of you guys that are going to be very good. Um, I've had three, no, actually four now, four people win qualifiers and there's only sort of like you know six qualifiers out of the year. So a good proportion of the qualifiers have been won by some of my juniors. So they're all up against it. Um, so that's exciting. That will be this weekend for the final qualifier. Then we'll know who's in the finals. And outside of that, obviously settling in a Birmingham, in between Birmingham and uh, Sheffield at the moment with training. So if anything, I was talking to Danny earlier about my programming at the moment is all over the fucking shop because I've been going to different gyms back and forth. But I think something that I've taken away from that that maybe a listener could take away is the fact that even if you are in different gyms, you can still have very successful periods of training um, by keeping, you know, your main, your bread and butter the same. So not variation, not having variation in your first two movements mm-hmm. most of the time. And then the other stuff, you know, if there's bits of new kit that you want to try, etc., chuck them in and run with it. As long as your intensity is there and you're keeping volume adequate, um, you're going to be good. Um, and I'm just coming to the end of a, uh, mini diet phase just to basically give myself more more room to to continue gaining because next year is going to be off i've uh, pretty much decided that I'm no, no competition no competition next year again um so what's, just, what's the ultimate goal then now uh, the ultimate goal is wmbf pro card so that's 2020 that's 2020 i i had in my head that i might do 2019 and i just i just know that i want to be noticeably different and I think that that will take me more than a year to accomplish that. Um, I also think that, bearing in mind I had a 45-week prep, um, I don't really want to put myself in a position where you know, I've, I've probably only recovered from that prep fully a couple of months ago. And I don't want to go back into a, a long deficit without knowing that everything's ticking over as well as it could be. Mm. Um, there's also some things in this off-season that I look back on and I think I could have done a bit better. Whenever you start to think, you know, should I prep or not, you start to reflect. Um, so reflecting on the off-season that I've had so far, I think that I, I'd like to get back into some of the movements that I was doing 
that yield made, yielded me a decent amount of progress when I was in my last off-season, like barbell back squatting. You know, whilst it's a movement that some people get on with and some people don't, I really miss doing that as a movement. And I think that it did definitely yield me a decent amount of whatever tissue I had on my posterior chain and my quads was coming from just holding a lot of tonnage on my back. Um, so I just want to get back into doing some things like that alongside just pulling bigger numbers as well. Like if I can, if I got my deadlift up from, you know, where where I got it, where I started at the end of prep, which was awful, like one feet, one forty, feeling heavy, to to you know pulling like two hundred kilos for six. I want to be able to do, you know, two twenty, two forty for reps by the end of the end of the next phase of an off season, mm. um, which. Uh, one final topic is the fact I mentioned this in a podcast recently I think the longer you spend in off season and I don't know whether you agree on this to Callum and potentially one of the reasons why you haven't stepped on stage is the more you can get addicted to the, the process of just yeah, enjoying training yeah. and setting training relative goals because the minute I took away the 2019 competitive idea I was like really excited to set new lifting goals mm. Um, because I know that they don't exist in a prep. Um, and I think at the end of 2020, if I hit really good numbers and I'm not injured and I make good progress, I could quite easily say, shit, like, do I really want to prep in 2020? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I know I will do, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a portion of an off season, which you need to, if you struggle with an off season, start setting, you know, start setting some damn goals that excite you mm. in the gym. Um, especially if you're injury free and you can chase these things, it's a blessing, mm. I think. I was speaking to Cameron, who's just Cameron Thomas, who's just competed over in, in Manchester. He's got the Birmingham show uh, this weekend, and he said, you know, the, I was speaking to him last weekend before he competed, and he was like, the thing that I'm most excited for is to be able to set performance goals as opposed yes. to diet goals instead. Absolutely. So like, start to set numbers. I want to start to chase, and yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting. It is. Um, how how different is your scale weight now relative to when you're on stage? How much has that come up by? Well, I hit peak of one eighty three before I started this diet, so yeah. one hundred eighty three pounds at the peak end, and my stage weight was one forty one forty eight in the worlds, mm. um, one forty six fully depleted, um, and now I'm one sixty eight. So I've lost quite a lot from mm. one eighty three. Um, I've come down a fair bit, and I've really not lost a lot of my performance related things in the gym um lost a little bit off my deadlift lots not really lost really anything off my pressing to be honest which is very surprising yeah. um today's session was fairly strong as well from what i could take from it it was fairly decent um and i think again like a lot of my sessions have been in in essentially new environments suboptimal conditions of traveling or different meal timings etc so I've just had my head on, to be honest. I think a lot of the reason why the sessions have been going well is because I just am in a positive environment. I'm pretty happy with how things are going outside of the gym, mm. work-wise, relationship-wise. Um, being in, in you know Birmingham has been massively helpful in terms of reducing stress. Um, so yeah, I think it just shows how much the things outside of the gym make an impact on yeah. your performance, mate. Yeah, it's huge. One percent. Okay. Right. We will. Um We'll dig into some questions. Um, so you've got, how many you got, six? Should we just take in turns? Yeah, let's take in turns. Wait for my phone to load. Um, okay. So first question from Tom Vandervolk. 
I hope I said that right, Tom, sorry. What is the best strategy to start with creatine? I'd say creatine monohydrate, five grams a day. Yeah. Um, I don't really, if you, if you look at the literature, I don't really buy into the whole loading strategy of creatine either. Maybe like five years ago when you first start looking at supplements, you start to get bought into, oh, what's the best way to take this thing? And you'll start to read something online that says you need to take, you know, 15 grams for the first four days, et cetera, to load it and saturate it. But um, if you look at the rate in which that's going to be used in the body and how much realistically we can uh, utilize, then five, three to five grams for most people. Um, and in terms of like the form of that, there's lots of different forms um, of creatine that you'll find. Some have faster, some have slower absorption rates, some have uh, metabolized slightly differently. Monohydrates, typically what I'd always suggest. Anyone yeah. Take. yeah. Um, Same. Very, very cheap. And then just make sure you feel fully hydrated as well. Yeah. Because yeah. it's going to work with alongside water. Yeah. Um, timing of creatine. Intro workout, pre. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at when you're going to potentially uptake things like that the best, then I'd say I'd say yeah, the pre-intra. Um, but again, you're sort of picking picking hairs if you really want to look at it like that. In my opinion, I'd just say get it down you whenever you can remember to get it down you because the main thing is that you're taking it on a consistent basis. Hundred percent. So yeah, that's my thoughts there. Yeah. Um, question number two. Uh, from Philip Nagy. Philip's coming to the seminar, so I'll see you, see you soon, Philip. This might be relative uh, to what we've just discussed as well with your off-season. Sure. Is it possible to not to possible to possible not gain lean tissue visually nor body weight whilst long-term progressing loads reps? Uh, yeah, you asked that on mine as well. Um, so so, so is this you're progressing a strength but not growing? Is that, is, that, is that what you're saying? Let me have a look. Possible to not gain lean tissue visually whilst... Long-term progression, yeah, 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 yeah. So I get always meaning, like, yeah, like the answer to that is is definitely yes because it's like it's especially if if you are actually gaining body weight and your lifts and like your lifts are progressing, you're accumulating more volume, etc. You're doing all, all everything that it takes to build new tissue. You're not necessarily going to see that tissue until you get into a Play, uh, like a body composition environment where you're actually able to to to, to visually see it. Like I don't think visual tissue growth in a gaining phase is like pictures are important, but they're more so important in my in my opinion from measuring where you're at body composition wise and understanding as to whether we we can push more or mm. we need to dial things back. Like I don't look at photos in an off season and think fuck I'm gaining tissue here like a wild animal because especially as a natural who's not going to see it mm. um, the majority of any tissue improvements that I see is when, when I diet down like I'll see improvements in my arms, I'll see improvements in my legs like only when I've got fat off so I think just focusing on what you need to do to build muscle which is get yourself in a caloric environment to do that progress your lifts like you are doing from a logbook perspective and then You'll have you you're you're doing everything to build muscle. It has to be there. All variables considered, uh, you it have to be building muscle. So when you diet down, you'll see it. Um, I think maybe in an assisted environment, you might see more visual tissue accrual mm. on a, on a in a in a in a gaining environment, especially if they're maybe new to it. Would you say that? Would you agree? Yeah, I think somebody's ability to be on. more aggressive with. 
them accumulating lean tissue if they're assisted, especially if drugs are new. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but you also get the the case that if somebody's not going to be well informed with that and they start aggressively pushing food at the same time, then a lot of that initial weight gain and fullness that they'll perceive will just be them getting very inflamed and quite fat quite quickly. So yes, yeah. Um, is, is how to monitor it but sure. uh, I think just, just you've nailed it on the head there in terms of especially as a natural athlete or even an assisted athlete look at what's going to essentially be the backbone of you accumulating lean tissue and that's creating a, a caloric environment that's going to be conducive to that and training progressively yeah and recovering Agreed. and those are the only the only three things that you really need to control and focus on yeah um, shall I go for one yeah go on um how much and when to use taurine? This is from Ryan Thornton. <sighs> taurine. Um, I use taurine sometimes as a an agent for um, relaxing the nervous system, so yeah. create more of a parasympathetic environment. Yeah. Taurine is uh, an amino acid, um, obviously, as we said, common the nervous system uh, by facilitating the production of the neurotransmitter GABA, um, helping GABA levels rise. Obviously, that can be pretty useful for people that are suffering with more sympathetic dominance, um, anxiety, uh, and basically anything associated with um, cortisol and adrenaline levels um, spiking or, or peaking, so to speak. Um, cord, cord, uh, taurine sorry, um, may also be pretty uh, effective for lowering uh, blood pressure um, due to the calming effect it will have on the sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system and the role it will play in uh, normal response as well um, and also there may be some premise behind um, taurine as a not only as a neuroprotective agent but um, a pretty good aid for glucose metabolism um, and cell sensitivity uh, lowering blood uh, glucose like as a general rule of thumb, maybe three to five grams, and that sure. could be around training, maybe pre or post workout or intro. You'll find a lot of intro workouts with taurine in, yeah, yeah. Um, and also uh, potentially use pre bed as well. Um, a lot of, there'll be a lot of um, like sleep agents and sleep blends, proprietary blends that will include uh, taurine in for that purpose. Um, did he give a context to the question? Just said no. It's just taurine. sort of said how much and when. I think you pretty much covered that. Yeah, three to five grams. Potentially pre-bed, potentially pre, potentially intra, potentially post. Yeah. You could sort of use it anywhere. Yeah. If you're looking at it from, like, if you're looking at it from a nervous system point of view, probably pre, uh, pro, probably post and pre-bed. Yeah. But if you're looking at it from a nutrient uptake point of view, any time when yeah. you want to obtain nutrients, yeah. whack it in. Um, cool, another one. Um... Okay, cool. Now, this is one that I'll be interested in your opinion on as well, Callum. So, opinion on cardio in an off-season for for easy gainers, so for people that can gain really easily without having to put many calories in. Um, if yes, and when to place it. So, essentially, like he gains weight really easily. It's called Kimmy. And he's wondering as to whether putting in cardio for someone like him is beneficial or whether you put it in uh, in a gaining phase. Like, see, like cardio work for me, I, especially in an off-season phase, I view it more as what that's doing to the aerobic system in terms of recovery and performance, as opposed to controlling energy balance for body composition or yeah. control. So, I'd rather just do that through somebody being 
you know, manipulating calories, but a lot of probably the majority or maybe all of my, what you quote, bodybuilders or physique competitors, people that are just pursuing physique development will do cardio year round or will do a volume of aerobic activity that might be in the form of steps, but activity is still quite high. Um, Cardiovascular work aerobically would probably fall um, maybe 120 to 140 beats per minute heart rate threshold. So you're in that energy system. Obviously, you're not going to be accumulating a lot of fatigue there, so it's not going to be taxing, so it won't be impacting training, performance, or recovery. But what you can do by basically improving aerobic um, efficiency or creating aerobic adaptations is your ability to recover across the week because you're aerobically efficient, so oxygen uptake, um, oxygenated blood pumping around the body. Um, Muscles are then going to get delivered more nutrients to recover. Um, a big one that I've seen, especially for guys that are going to get heavy off season as well, heavy relative to them is their ability to actually perform within sessions, recover intraset. Like if you're blowing out of your ass and you're, you're like a, like a, I've been there, like a heffalump. Yeah. And you can't breathe. Like performance is going to absolutely drop. Um, and one thing you'll see, like as soon as somebody has it in their head that they want to, they want to grow, then activity just minimizes. But we've got to think like some for keeping some form of aerobic work in, whether you know you're you know you're 150 kilos or 70 kilos, like it's still going to be beneficial from a recovery perspective, and keeping the heart in a, in a good place, keeping you aerobically efficient from a recovery perspective, and like the biggest thing for me is performance, and I know that for my, myself. Like I I just do it by walking the dog, but mm-hmm. before we had Rosie and I was gaining a lot of weight, as soon as I got to like one probably between 110 and 115 when I started to gain like a significant amount of weight like my my recovery was terrible and you like JP would be like specify um maybe like three to five minute rest periods or whatever um but even in my input even in my program I'd go by and it would be it would be like 10 minutes between set it's ridiculous um but it's it's not it's not a good place to be in terms of performance and sessions take far too long um, and realistically, if we think like if you're if you're getting gas from a set of eight, it's probably something wrong there. So yeah, um, would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree with all those things. I think you need to look at things from the perspective of like, yeah, you're not really wanting to use cardio as a tool to allow yourself to eat a little bit more if mm. that's what you're trying to achieve. Um, I think you should look at it as a tool to sort of try and improve, yeah, your, your cardiac output and just your general health and your ability to perform in the gym recovery capacity etc uh, i think a lot of people worry too much about cardio in a gaining phase mm. they think that it's going to diminish recovery they think it's going to take take some of their volume away from their training at the end of the day i actually see it that it, whilst it, if you manage it well it can actually allow you to recover from more volume mm. than you would if you just sort of said oh well i'm just going to allow myself to do maximum maximum volume in the gym do no cardio and eat all the food and gain all the body weight you end up getting to the point where, like Callum said, where you just performance just the output is much lower mm. due to the fact your fitness is so low. Um, the only other thing I would mention to sort of Kimmy himself is uh, uh, question yourself as to maybe why you're an easy gainer. Um, if you are eating calories that don't make sense, like you're eating low calories but you're gaining, uh, question as to why that's happening. Um, it could be something else going on that you need to monitor first, like a stress response. Uh, it could be something going on hormonally as well. Like anecdotally, I've had 
clients for a long time. Like I had a guy that was of like 180 pounds and he was gaining very fast on something like 2,600 calories. Um, and he, he actually had to go on to uh, TRT because his uh, testosterone levels were just absolutely tanked. Um, and whether or not testosterone is having a role in that, uh, we don't know, but we know that obviously a stress response can be created through being in a poor position hormonally. So I'm not saying that you need to look down that route, but I am saying that, you know, consider also consider adherence as a very baseline thing. So like, are you saying you're an easy gainer, but the weekends you eat 6,000 calories each day going out with your friends and then throughout the week you're on 3,000 and your energy balance is all over the shop. You know, just question the ground line things before you sort of categorize yourself as an, as an easy gainer. I think yeah. that's a, that's an important thing as well. As this as a general rule of thumb, like on the topic of cardio, just don't don't be afraid of it because it, it can be used yes. as a as a a tool year round. Whether you're looking to mobilize fat or gain yeah, tissue, definitely. Yeah. Um, cool. Finish shooting on water. Okay. Um. As we're on the topic of hormones a little bit, let's approach uh, Joe's question. He's one of my clients. Um, so approach to restoring client hormones. Um, uh, female specific? Yeah, female specific without going into too much detail. Female specific hormone, getting, getting, getting things back into ranges, regaining the cycle, etc. What's your thoughts on that and how would you do that? What would you look at from a nutrition and training perspective in terms of trying to maximize both mm. to regain something like the cycle um, and get females into a better position hormonally. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky one because if you look at... They're not doctors. <laughs> yeah, anything we say Quite. should not be taken as uh, clear medical advice. Yeah. Um, the thing, when we look at hormones, when we look at bodybuilding, the two unless they're uh, utilized exogenously. If a female is taking exogenous uh, drugs, then the hormones within the body, exogenous hormones are going to start to massively impact their physiological makeup, um, which can stop the cycle as, as a result of that. Mm. If you look at a, a natural competitor um, and a, a female, so if you look at the menstrual cycle, the menstrual cycle itself is a very fragile um is a very fragile process. So as soon as the body is put into a place where the body senses heightened state of stress and senses um, a shortage of energy, there are certain systems in the body that are going to suffer. One of them will be the digestive system. Uh, a lot of the digestive processes that we should be going through will start to be compromised. Uh, the other one for a female especially is the, the menstrual cycle. Um, and when you look at female hormones, we look at from the side of their perspective, FSH, LH, um, estrogen, all these things are slowly going to start to be suppressed the longer that individual diets, the leaner that, that individual gets, the higher that individual stress load. And stress load can be psychological stress, it can be physical stress, so output-wise, training-wise, it can be um, stress from low-calorie uh, dieting for a long period of time. Um, two things you'll see. The, the two quickest ways to get uh, a menstrual cycle back will be to gain weight, uh, eat more. Um, not necessarily, it's not necessarily macronutrient specific as well. Yes, dietary fat, triglycerides may be uh, more beneficial to promote um, function of the steroid hormone pathway. Um, that's true, but you know, by default, if you increase dietary fat, then you also increase calories. So if somebody's eating 500 calories from fat, 
or 500 calories from protein, they're still not going to have a, a menstrual cycle. But if you increase that to 1,000 calories from protein or fat, then the likelihood of them regaining that is going to be a lot higher. So calories and energy balance are going to be the most important thing. The other important thing is just controlling uh, the state of the nervous system and controlling stress. So creating more parasympathetic dominance and putting things in place that will bulletproof stress management. Um, like I've got two girls that are deep in prep at the moment. Laura, who's just won uh, the bikini toned at Manchester PCA, natural competitor. She's been dieting for 36 weeks. She's still got a menstrual cycle. Um, it's, it can be very individualistic, but if you can teach, like some people, they could be an, uh, uh, an angel with stress management. They could do everything right in the book and they still lose it. Mm. That's just going to be a genetic set point where the body's in a place where it's not going to sustain the function of these systems. But we can, especially as a female, just focus on nailing all those basic things, sleep, stress management, um, making sure that training volume is not going too high. Sometimes it may have to, to deliver certain compositional changes. End of the day, if you take the body to extreme levels of, of condition and it's not healthy and the body's going to start to fight back a little bit. Um, but from, from your side, uh, approach to restoring clients' hormones, bring them slowly out of the diet and add as much food as you need to for them to regain daily function. Um, get blood work tested. If it's hormone, you may want to go through um, urine or saliva. Uh, and from the perspective of, um, you know, the quickest way to do that is just lower stress. So yeah. reduce training volume, potentially reduce training intensity as well, um, and, and and reduce output. So maybe you know switch to more um, less taxing forms of output. So instead of hit, we'll go to steps maybe, yeah. and we'll still have a decent amount of output, so they can hold on to body composition. But we're reducing stress loads significantly. Mm. You agree? Yeah, agreed. And unfortunately, a lot of these things that you're talking about, especially the first few with gaining weight, eating more calories, is unfortunately things that females don't want to hear. Yeah. And it's unfortunately things that they've got to accept at certain phases where health is the priority. You know, if you, if you haven't had a cycle for a long period of time, the, the, the importance of you getting that back before you look to do any aggressive dieting, contest prep, whatever, is, is absolutely key. Like, I... I'll, I will obviously appreciate if, if someone does lose their cycle throughout prep um, and understand that that's potentially part of the process. As long as the cycles then regains yeah. and is staying, obviously they spend a, a decent amount of time at a body composition where their cycle is is there and consistent, mm -hmm. then then we're happy, we're in a good spot. And like you said, it's very individual. Um, you know, I've worked with females that will lose lose their cycle very quick, like deficit, lose cycle. Mm. Um, and then I have other people that will literally make, I had a girl compete UKDFBA um, and PCA actually, and, and she's maintained hers throughout her entire prep. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, like obviously you said Laura as well. like Which yeah. actually makes life harder for a coach because yeah. then you've got a menstrual cycle to play with as well. Yes, you have. Yes, you have, especially around peak week and things like that. It's a nightmare because shows aren't run around the menstrual According cycle. According to the menstrual cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to talk to promoters about that. We can sort, uh, sort something out. But yeah, um, yeah so it's a pain, it's a pain that. But yeah, that's that's what we'd say. I think that probably answers Joe's question pretty well. Um, and a lot of the things, kind of have to suck these things up um, as much as we can. And uh, it's, it's like anything, you know, health, health is the main priority when we're looking to do these things. And if anything, um, 
if you're not in a good position with your cycle, then it could potentially lead to other things not being in a good position as well. And then fat loss is not going to be your friend. That's so. that's important. Like this is a as a um, what AJ's has said in terms of the whole culture of females wanting to compete and step on stage now because it's glamorous and it's sexy and mm. it's good for social media. You've got to think like long term if you're in a position where you've lost your mental cycle and it hasn't been there for a significant amount of time you seriously need to rethink your approach to what you're doing yeah. um because long term that will significantly impact your health um so yeah just that's just something very significant that's worth considering uh if somebody is wanting to diet or just go into that way of life or continue in that way of life if that's the situation sure um, yeah absolutely good question should we cover another one okay um, mm, this one kind of annoys me a little bit. Thoughts on JP style training from Ben Lewis. JP style training. JP style. I get this so much. I get this so much. Like I get the whole like you train like JP now, or you why do you why do you do that like JP? I I don't know whether there is a JP style of training, and I think actually if you ask Jordan Peters himself this question, he'd argue that it's not a JP style of training. I think he'd argue that it's an accumulation of what he's learned through all the people that he's engaged with over his period of time as a trainee. Would you Would you agree with that? It's like yeah. it's it. I don't think anyone owns necessarily a training principle. Um, not like on a ground level, I think everyone's taking bits from other people and then piecing it together and creating what, what they believe is. But then again, like from a JP perspective, his his thoughts and approaches and the way that he trains has changed drastically over the last 12 months. Yeah. You know, it's significantly different. If you look at his, even from a, such a baseline thing as exercise selection, his exercise selection has changed dramatically over a period of 12 months. But I think what people need to realise more is that, like, you know, he's only cha he's changed that because, yeah, his, his thoughts and processes have evolved and there's a lot that we can take from that. But there's also a lot that we can take from what he mastered over the over all the years of training that he did before he started his sessions with line cuff laterals. Mm. Um, like all the years that he was doing, you know, basically a lot of a lot of the basic movements and just getting really, really good and really, really strong at them. Probably built him a large part of the muscle that he has today and now he's looking at just refining things. Mm. So I don't know, what's your thoughts on that that question, you know? I guess maybe he's def defining it as a lower volume approach, or I'm not really sure. It would, be, it, would, it, would, it would be a little bit easier to answer if there was some clarity on the approach that he's mentioning. Yeah. I think, um, like Jordan, probably two or three years ago, programming-wise, it was all about um, mechanical tension and loading through the mid-range of the resistance profile. So he'd pick heavy lifts, and he'd just pummel you with eccentric loading, um, and, and some they would be first up in the session. Right? They'd be first up in the session, um, and it would, you know, largely be probably dumbbell, barbell, and maybe a little bit of machine work at the end. Sure. Um, if you give someone that that's eating progressively, and especially if they're taking drugs, and especially if they're genetically gifted, they will grow. <laughs> um, but what you've seen from Jordan is even as him, the, the the level of development he has, he's always got an open mind, and he's he, he admits where he's wrong, and he also is receptive to taking on board new concepts yeah of course and one thing he's done with you know as he's met joe bennett and he's, he's met 
um, you know, certain people in his life that have impacted him in his way of thinking, he's adopted new approaches. Now, Jordan doesn't own a methodology of training. He just preaches a combination of lots of different thought processes. Yes. And I think every good coach is, is, is essentially a compilation of lots of different thought processes that they've taken value from basically combined into one one method mm. um, so you don't own a method at all it's just you're utilizing multiple different opinions and, and ideas and combine them into what you feel is appropriate i think the lower volume approach um is definitely more popular now and people see it as sexier because it means that you train harder you train with more intensity uh, and it's now instead of whereas before maybe it might have been oh you know I train with high volume because I'm advanced now it's flipped on its switch and said how low can I get my volume while still being effective and still creating a, a sufficient stimulus and I've gone through that myself over the last couple of years like volumes like halved and and significantly dropped but only because my ability to drive my strength up has increased um, and also exercise. Uh, execution so if you improve your execution you probably can get away with a little bit less yeah um and i think the whole notion of you know this probably hasn't been from jordan at all but he's been the one that's been in the limelight and people have watched him he's now got a big website with thousands of subscribers so people now see him as the 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 preacher of this method um rightly so uh, is just a high frequency approach to training yes. the whole combination of pushable legs like dante would have popularized that back in the day um, the whole dog crap approach programming, which Jordan did, you know, take on himself, uh, and he's just adapted that long down the line. But I think just just as a as for, for any individual, train with the least amount of effective volume year round, and uh, train with a, a decent amount of frequency. If you're hitting a body part once a week, your programming could be better. I'd say, yeah, unless you're like. Uh, someone on the Olympia stage then just do whatever the fuck you want it doesn't matter <laughs> you're fine yeah yeah I'd agree on that one um, and I, yeah it is, it's actually interesting to see JP's concepts evolve yeah um, I've been following JP for and obviously you've been following him for longer and you've been you know you've been coached by him um, I've been following for about two and a bit years I'd say Um and yes, it's just, just, it's very interesting. It's very interesting to follow. Uh, if you want my personal opinion, I definitely preferred watching him train when he was doing yeah. more of the, 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 the sort of the basic stuff. You know, I preferred the 180 kilo incline barbell presses and the, the ridiculous dumbbells at strength, you know, um, over the, over some of the stuff that he's been doing. But to be fair, I'd, I don't doubt that he'll go back to doing some of that at some point. Um, I think the big thing to mention there is one of the reasons why he doesn't do that stuff anymore is because he's broken. Yes, he is. And his body can't take that anymore. Very so it, like, it's like James Holland said, like, you can, if, you're, if you've got an environment conducive to that, you can do incredible things by just pummeling yourself with heavy loading. Yeah. But as Jordan will say himself, as a there's a as a there's like a lifetime of that, and eventually you're going to start to snap and injure, and that's why you need to get smarter with your training. Yeah, that's um, why Ronnie's so fucked up. Yeah, but like it, it, his level of development, like he's one of the most heavily muscled people I've ever ever known or met. Yeah, like that, you know, that has that's attributed to the way he's trained for years and years and years, and what you're seeing now, maybe over the last two or three years. 
is now Jordan Peters and that's the way he trains and he's, yeah. he's smarter. But you've got to think like he's got 15 year, years under his belt of, of deadlifting seven plates yes. and, and pressing four plates, rowing four plates. Yeah. And that's what's ultimately built a lot of muscle tissue. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's why, you know, why you potentially see a lot of the people that understand that process still hammering the basic stuff as much as they can with yeah. the limitations um, and taking what they can from him, but not too much that's, that's taking them to to that level of advancement. It's like it's like following anyone that's at the top of the tree and trying to copy what they're doing, but without realizing that the bottom of the tree they did certain stuff to get them there initially. It's like yeah, any yeah. sport, any sport. You know, it's a, it's a, there's levels to this, and unless you appreciate that, then you're gonna skip a beat. I think. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, so good we expanded on that enough. But yeah, good question. Good, got some good stuff there. I've got a good one for you. Okay. This will be very relative to you last year. Any suggestions slash tactics slash strategies to deal with hunger when deep in a diet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yeah, I do, I do have quite a lot of them because essentially I became resistant to hunger over the 45-week <laughs> prep. 45 years of prep. Yeah. So I would say that, uh, you know, essentially a lot of the hunger-related things that you can control are unfortunately um, the, the the main tip that I'm going to give that you need to take home from this, mate, is that if you're contest prep dieting, you are never going to be full. So whatever incredible xanthan gum protein ice cream that you make, however thick that is and however satiating it is, and just for your information, I know how good protein ice cream is because I make it right now. But I didn't make that once during prep. Not in any of the 45 weeks did I make protein ice cream. Um, I had smoothies, yes, for a certain degree, but I never made this xanthan gum shake. But yeah, you're never going to be fully satiated. And I've had a lot of clients this year that have bit done their first prep. Actually, Aiden, he won't mind me mentioning this at all. So Aiden, who trains at Frontline, um, he's <laughs> he said to me one day, he was like, AJ, I'm trying to get satiated and I can't get satiated and I'm feeling really bloated. I noticed in all of his physique updates, he was like, his midsection was just blowing out to no, no end. And I sort of asked him, I questioned into his diet a little bit more. Um, obviously, I'd, I'd been giving him some sort of structure around his meals and things like that. But basically what he'd been doing is slowly tapering down the actual carbohydrates in his meals and just tapering up the veg significantly to the point where he's having 600 grams of veg per meal at five meals per day. And that was causing huge issues with him in terms of a digestive point of view, bloating, etc., etc. He was chasing fullness. So he was chasing satiety and you're never going to feel fully, fully satiated when you're, when you're in a deficit and when you're lean. So number one tip is just accepting that you're going to be hungry and learning learning how to deal with it within your mind as opposed to within your food options. That's number one. Uh, number two is just like having ridiculous structure in your day. So eating the same meals at the same time, not thinking at the end of the day, can I sub this for that? Can I have Halo Top instead of meal six? No. You stick to the protocol which either your coach gives you or you've got in your head, stick to it religiously. Um, and your body will become somewhat adapted to that anyway. Um, I found that by the end of the prep, I was so used to the same meals 
the same structure and the same level of hunger and the same level of feeling like shit that I just felt kind of at peace with it. But when you initially get that lean, like the first time you get that lean, it's very difficult. Um, your body will be screaming for more food. The temptation to overeat will be extremely high. Um, and if you want to get leaner, and if you want to improve, you want to step on stage with you know, striated glutes, whatever your goal is, you absolutely have to brute through that phase. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the second tip. Third tip is uh, after meals, go out for a walk or get on with some immediate work. So do not sit there after a meal and wonder what you're going to do. Have a plan after each meal. Sounds ridiculous. I always used to see you on Instagram stories walking around. Yes, mate. Yeah. Um, but... It's because after every meal, I pretty much go for a walk. Mm -hmm. So my routine was like meal, move for a bit, and then get on with work. So I immediately knew that upon eating the meal, I would be away from that meal. I'd be moving and then back to another environment for work. Do not eat and work in the same environment. Mm -hmm. Um, if you eat and work in the same environment, your day will consist of just constantly thinking about when the next meal is. You'll eat a meal and then you won't get busy with work. You'll just be thinking about how, how hungry you are. Um, fourth, fourth one and final one, I'll keep it here, is do not watch any sort of relative food programs like Man vs. Food. Or Instagram as well. Or Instagram, zoom up on your food and do the whole spoon dipping thing where you dip into your bowl of measly oats. Like just, yeah, it's taking a fake picture of a food is fine, but doing the whole zoom in thing and getting really, really obsessed with food and like creating a post show list of foods you want to demolish. Mm. Like just, just do not do that. Just do yourself a favor and don't do it. We've all been there. Trust me. My first prep when I was a teen, first prep that I ever did I remember going to bed pretty much most nights watching Man vs. Food or Diners, Drivings and Dives. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, every single... I go with this spiky blonde hair. Fucking shit. <laughs> it's so shit. Um, and, oh my God, yeah, so do not do that. And the amount, the amount of crap that there's online at the moment, like all these uh, Eric the Electric 10,000 calorie challenge, and then he goes and cycles for four days to burn it all off like just don't bother with any of that because you'll create a horrific relationship with food mm. by the end of your diet it will just be in such a poor place so yeah those are my tips accept hunger is the number one thing though because you're never going to be full no matter what you eat just as a question here a new question um as a as a natural athlete from your side aj post comp rebound tactics do you believe in a, a rebound post-show? What 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 are your immediate thoughts post-show for a natural male or female athlete? Okay, so when uh, my belief from a, like a rebound phase is that you're gonna you're going to be in a very good position to uptake nutrients. So that's no, the number one thing. You're in a very good position to uptake nutrients because you're very insulin sensitive. You're very lean, but are you primed for growth at the end of a contest prep? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Mm. You've just put your body through the most heightened stress environment possible, and if anything, you're gonna be you're gonna be the highest probably if you've done well. You're gonna be at the highest level of motivation you've ever seen. So that combination is actually deathly because I'm pretty confident in my post show rebound. I continued to lose muscle tissue mm. because even though I was in 
a decent surplus. I was training twice a day um, in you America. Twice a day training, didn't you? Yes, yeah. I was training twice a day in America. I was the most yeah. motivated I've ever been in my entire life. I was living off pure adrenaline and a shit ton of caffeine. And I was essentially just battering my body into the ground. Um, and I, 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 I remember just like after that phase feeling pretty beaten up and awful um, and having to, having to accept that I had to take some time going a little bit backwards in terms of training volume before I progress moving forwards. So my actual advice is to take some time away from the high volume training that you've been doing, um, reduce your outputs as much as you can within the limitations of gaining body weight because you obviously don't want to gain too fast. I'd say initially you want to put on about, depending on obviously what category you're in, lighter people probably three to four three to five pounds put on initially heavier people maybe six to eight and i do mean like if you were fully lean i do mean six to eight fairly fast because those six to eight will make you feel pretty good pretty quick because they'll get good amount of water weight on you um you'll feel a bit better in the gym you'll feel a bit better hunger and satiety wise just generally you'll feel better i mean you'll look 10 times worse but you'll feel better um so I think for a natural, capitalizing on reducing the chronic stress that you've had through dieting is a better option than trying to capitalize on any tissue that you're going to gain in the phase. Because um, you're not going to be gaining muscle tissue for a good time, <laughs> I think. You're not going to be gaining muscle tissue. What you might do is regain tissue that you've lost, mm. but you're not going to be accruing new tissue in that phase very fast, in my opinion, until you've fully gotten rid of the the, 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 the stress that you've accumulated through dieting. Um, that's my perspective. Potentially, it's different from an assisted point of view. Post-show, as, as an athlete, so they're back in the prep. Training-wise, what would you do? Would you would you immediately deload? Oh, uh, uh, if 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 we're in a position where we could deload, I'd love to. Mm. Um, I'd love to see an athlete do that. The reality of them doing that from a mindset perspective is really, yeah. really difficult. Yeah. You've got to be honest. You've got to be honest with the athlete in the sense that are they actually going to find? Are they actually going to be able to deload after doing their final show of the season? Reality is probably not. So. For me, going for a slightly lower volume approach to that week initially, um, I think ideally you you want to be backing off for at least two weeks um, in that moment of time and just allowing your body weight to get back up to somewhere where you're feeling a little bit more normalized, joints, tendons, ligaments, because unfortunately, as soon as you bring up food, you're going to feel superhuman, but you're not going to be superhuman. Like you're... You're not superhuman in the gym. You're going to feel like you can do stuff that you've never done before. You're not going to be able to. And if anything, tell you what, the worst thing to happen would be is post-show, you go and try and do something for kicks because you feel great and you get fucking hurt. And if you get hurt in the first week of your off-season, that's just as bad as gaining 20 pounds in a week. Yeah. You've you've essentially screwed your off-season by getting hurt because you're in a prime position to get hurt as if you're fully lean. Yeah. Um, so that's my thoughts there. Um, again, like you said, with the restoring hormones of the females, taking out any disruptive cardio like hits um, or any like... Uh, a ridiculous amount of time you're spending on the stairmaster or anything like that anything with a lot of eccentric loading um try and take that out to again bring down inflammation and reduce the stress that you've caused would you do that pre-show 
Uh, pre-show, yeah, definitely in the final week. Yeah. I wouldn't be doing any hit in the final week. I wouldn't be doing any eccentric loading in the gym from Wednesday onwards in the show the weekend. Um, I would be... I tend to taper steps. Mm. I And then I would taper food up, um, predominantly from carbohydrates. Um, and then that's... that's yeah, that, that post-show... I did that wrong, in my opinion. Um, I trained too much, and I didn't back off enough, and I should have done. Uh, I think that would probably made me feel a lot better, a lot faster. Um, but it's difficult. It's very difficult, especially when you're in a different country, loads of fucking cool oh, gyms. Yeah, yeah. You've just won. Um, all you want to do is train. Mm. So I appreciate if you've done well, you, all you want to do is go and train. Um, if you've done badly, maybe it's a different thing. But uh, I've seen some pretty horse, pretty horrific stories already this year. So I saw someone gain, um, I think, seventeen point five kilos in uh, two weeks. What? Yeah, two weeks. Seventeen point five kilos. Male or female? Male. male. Yeah. Male. <laughs> yeah, he put it on his Facebook as well. What the and fuck? I, I commented on it. I commented on it saying that is bad. I said you, you, you are running into lots of problems, and he said. His reply was, a large part of that was water weight, because <laughs> I was fairly depleted. <laughs> oh my so god. Five kilos That's your record. Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, he looks completely different now. You've blown your entire off-season. <laughs> you have. Time to diet, buddy. <laughs> you can't diet. <laughs> You're not allowed to diet. Oh, you know. It's game over, pretty much, mate. <laughs> yeah, see you later. Um, <laughs> fucking hell. I think they said they said everything Adrian has said holds true for uh, whether someone is assisted as well. Um, just on the other end of the spectrum, AJ said everything that you would do with a natural athlete as an assisted athlete uh, post show, and even for a natural athlete as well. Yes, that immediate post show period of time where you can reduce stress and increase food is going to be highly anabolic. Um, regardless of that, when you look at using anabolics, run blood work. Um, if somebody's been in a long prep or they've been more aggressive with drug use, then you need to seriously consider your health before doing anything else. You may want to back off immediately. There will be uh, a thought process that says that you, you can keep those guys in and increase food and have a highly anabolic phase post-show. Some people yeah. do that. It works very, very well. If you are doing that, I'd immediately drop all orals first to reduce toxicity because you're not going to be in a good place. Um, but like, it is very, very common for people to keep uh, dosage is high, um, post-show, introduce food, lower stress, and the body's in a very good place to grow. But like I said, if you're working blind, you're not measuring blood work, you're not looking at these things, you're not considerate of health, you're being very, very reckless there. So um, like I love, the reason why I love AJ's thought process and any good natural coach or athlete's thought process is they look at all the basic things first before thinking about anything else because those are the only variables they can maximize. So he, he looks at, you know, assisted bodybuilders are, uh, they get like the, the whole notion is getting a lot better now and people are getting a lot more educated, but you know, drugs blind people and they rely on them far too much and they forget to do the basic things very, very well. And the 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 beauty of natural body building is these are the only things we have to our benefit. So we're going to bloody utilize them. And you know, you get an assisted bodybuilder that, that's thinking like a natural bodybuilder, and that's a dangerous combination. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was speaking to Cameron about this. Cameron is on the same wavelength, and he's he is that he epitomizes that. 
He 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 you know he has that meticulous nature over every single variable, yeah. and when it comes to his health, his health as well. And if you can instill that in someone, whether it's a client or whether it's a coach themselves, that's a very dangerous you know in terms of progress. It's a dangerous place to be because you can very you can you can utilize that. Yes. Um, but like I said, when it goes into assisted bodybuilding. You know, drugs tend to, to, to blind people a lot because mm. a lot of progress can be made, but a lot of health can be unraveled at the same time. Yeah, too right. Um, but yeah, either way, in terms of post-show, AJ summarized that bang on. Um, there was one more. Have you got any more on that that's decent? Nah, that's pretty much all the decent that's ones, it. I think. Um, skinny Gaz, is it too easy? Yes, it is, Gaz. It's too easy. Um mm-hmm. Opinions. Oh, this is quite a good one. We'll do that. We'll do this as the last one. We'll wrap this up on this. Opinions on occlusion training and the mechanisms of how it is supposed to work. Do you use occlusion training? Or have I don't. No, I don't. I have in the past. I found it just a pain to set up. To be honest, <laughs> it's um, a shame that Luke's not here because Luke loves occlusion training. See. Absolutely loves it. And like his arms have doubled in size. Wow. He's a bit of a freak. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I need to try it. Maybe everyone's going to try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think working around, working around, there's two two situations. Working around a body part that you've got uh, connective tissue um, or some form of structural limitation, uh, i.e. injury, is going to be very useful to occlude that body part to reduce uh, joint forces and just any kind of wear and tear that when you're loading it because mm. uh, you're using a minimal load. Uh, and B, and especially for me, I've used in the past as well, body parts that you just don't want to spend a lot of time training, okay. i.e. arms or yeah. calves or something, or if you want to tag quads on something, sure. you can get a pretty good stimulus from using occluded sets. So when we look at occlusion training in general, mechanisms behind that Mm. under normal conditions so normal uh, loading through training um, slow switch fibers are recruited first and as the intensity increases fast switch fibers will then recruit as needed now under occluded conditions or blood flow restricted conditions fast switch fibers are recruited even if the intensity is low Okay, so the relevance there obviously is we're recluding and we're able to tap into um, other motor units that we wouldn't be able to do so otherwise. So aerobic motor units, which are normally recruited at lighter loads, would be expected to uh, fatigue more rapidly during um, blood flow restriction. An exercise with occlusion requires the recruitment of larger, fast motor units, which are normally only recruited during stronger efforts or higher mechanical loading, okay, or exposure to higher mechanical loading, higher uh, higher mechanical stress. Um, So if you look at a lot of the EMG research, it's shown that occlusion can and will cause the activation of sufficient number of fast switch fibers at a lower intensity. So from the perspective of hypertrophy, we now have an ability to tap into these motor units that we normally only would be able to do so at a higher mechanical loading exposure but now we can use low intensity loads up to 20 percent of that total um like conceivable load uh and still achieve that which is you know a massive positive for 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 hypertrophy when we don't want to um either load that joint structure heavily or we don't want to spend a lot of time having to prepare to load it heavily in the first place application wise you're looking at probably around 20% of that given exercise's maximal load capacity um, occluding at the extremity of the limb uh, proximal 
to that to the to the joint structure so proximal basically closer to the the heart of that of that limb um in regards to tightness like i'd normally give a prescription of maybe like a seven out of ten tightness um it's very hard to judge that if it's too tight you'll probably get pins and needles or just some numbing or some extreme numbing through that limb especially if you're occluding your arms if you're getting pins and needles in your hands it's probably a little bit too tight um or your arms are going blue it probably is a little bit too tight as well um, but a typical prescription for exercise calls for probably you know three to six sets um, of probably somewhere in the range of 12 to 20 repetitions building some volitional fatigue uh, using shorter rest periods of around 15 to 20 seconds uh, the metabolic buildup itself through that set causes some pretty positive physiological adaptations um, specifically if you look at literature there'll be a rise in growth hormone that will be higher than the levels and found in higher intensities in, in some circumstances um, so it is definitely a tool I think just from the perspective of its application, um, certainly do not rely on this. It is, it's not new, it's not sexy, it's there for a purpose. Um, if you look at your programming and you're including it, but you have no thought process or you know, practical application behind why you're putting it in the program, it probably shouldn't be there. So use it as a tool if needed, but do not rely on it and do not see it as a, as a kind of a, a godsend for hypertrophy because it, it, it's far from that when applied um, incorrectly. Done? I agree on all those points, yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. I think that's all the questions asked. Cool. Uh, yeah. We'll Thanks speak. for listening, guys. Thank you for listening. Um, I'll we'll get AJ back on um, soon. I did want to go through sometime soon just your thought process on peaking a natural bodybuilder. That would be interested. 100%. Um, we made, uh, my dream is to get a round table and yes. to get loads of different coaches to talk about this. Jeff Nippard did it with... Um, who did you do it with? Cliff Wilson. Cliff Wilson. Um, he did it with Cliff Wilson. 3DMJ Wilson. Uh, uh, Eric Helms. And... The, Jason Theobald? Yeah, yeah, Jason Theobald. Um, and that was awesome. And I'd love to get it. I'd love to get that round table, but for UK-based yeah. coaches. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, Steve on. Um, you get all sorts of people on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the that's the goal. That'll be coming soon, hopefully. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's it from us, guys. So, thank you for listening. Uh... Out from me, out from AJ. See you later, guys. Speak soon. Cheers.